Well, good evening and a very warm welcome to Camelot Castle. We were trying to watch the rocket launch and this was going to be Caspian's first ever rocket launch. But sadly, weather has done us in and mm. the clouds have gathered. I wouldn't want to be those astronauts in the top of that tin can basically having to get out of there. They were expecting to go mm. up into space and mm. now they're going to be back in some grotty hotel, I should imagine. But anyway, uh, I wouldn't want to be them. Um, hopefully it'll be a nice hotel. Now, uh, tonight we have one of America's greatest living freedom fighters. I have prepared a little video clip about Dr. Barkay so that you can see him in action. But this is a man who we have been so keen to introduce to you because he is really an extraordinary freedom fighter from within mm. the medical establishment. This gentleman is a bona fide medical doctor. Let's see him in action. What if the experts are wrong? What if quarantining the healthy doesn't actually save lives? What if wearing a mask in public is not effective? My name is Dr. Jeff Barkey and I'm here representing thousands of physicians across the country whose voices are being silenced because we don't agree with the mainstream media and the experts who are telling us what to do. Never in the history of this great republic have we quarantined the healthy. Never in the history of this great republic have we told churchgoers that it's illegal for you to exercise your First Amendment right of freedom of religion. Yet at the same time, it's essential to keep pot dispensaries open. Never in the history of this country have we been told that you can't go to church because it's not essential, but you can go get an abortion because that's essential. Never before in our country have we let criminals out of jail, but we've told you you can't exercise your Second Amendment right and protect yourself by purchasing a firearm. When liquor stores are deemed essential, but your businesses are deemed non-essential, there's something wrong going on. I, and I challenge anybody who's watching this, next time you go into your doctor's office, Ask the receptionist or ask your doctor if you're there for a sore throat or a physical or whatever you're there for. Hey, uh, what, what is, what's the cost of this visit? And you'll probably get a puzzled look like, uh, well, what do you mean? And then you'll hear something like, well, it depends. Well, what kind of health insurance do you have? Well, what does that have to do with anything? If you walk into a grocery store to buy a steak, and you say, what's the cost of this sirloin? They're not they going to say, well, it depends. <laughs> what, are you, what, are you paying yeah. with, what are you paying for it with? 
So imagine going to a grocery store where you had where you shop, fill up your grocery basket, but you don't know what the cost of the groceries are, and you don't find out for a month until you get your EOB, your your uh, explanation of benefits from the grocery store that says, well, you know, you owe eight thousand dollars for, and you're like, what? There you have Dr. Barkey in action, and I have to say how honoured we are. I'm going to bring Dr. Barkey here into our home here at Camelot Castle. Good evening. Dr. Barkey, good evening. Good evening. Good afternoon in uh, Southern California. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me into your castle. Well, you're, you're very, very welcome. And hopefully when the, uh, I call it lock up, lifts mm. uh we will we will have the opportunity to welcome you here in person uh we are joined tonight from uh all parts of the world um his grace the duke of marlborough is joining us yes. from uh blenheim palace and uh he's been a great help in uh guiding the direction of this uh broadcast you know what you have done okay cannot be in any way underestimated its value. Your voice has been heard from one end of this planet to the other. And what is particularly interesting, in and, and this is something we touched on before the broadcast, is you're not somebody that has ever sought fame. You are simply somebody who cares deeply. Now, so that our viewers, I am not a doctor, my wife is not a doctor, we call this a buyer beware broadcast. If you believe what you hear on here, that's up to you. We are not a medical show and we're not medical authorities. But you are a doctor. Could you explain to our audience just a little bit about your qualifications and your background so that our broad audience could understand that? I'd be happy to. Can I then ask you questions about the royal family? You, you, you most certainly can, yes. <laughs> Well, I'm a, I'm a board-certified primary care physician. Uh, I went to UC Irvine Medical Center here in Southern California and completed my family practice residency at UC Irvine as well. Mm -hmm. I've been in private practice here in Orange County for 30-plus years. And a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were invited to a rally in Riverside, which is inland Orange County in Southern California. I, I know it well. I know it well. And I was asked to say a few words before the Board of Supervisors were going to meet to vote on opening up the county of Riverside. My wife decided to take video rather than a picture and later posted that on Facebook. And then all of a sudden, people from the UK and Camelot Castle are calling me and asking me to do an interview. So I, I believe this opportunity that I'm not asking to be a celebrity. I'm not a hero. I'm just a normal person. Been married for 30 plus years. I have two children. Um, but there's a lot of voices in the United States and around the world that are not being heard, that are being shut down. If our voice is different than the mainstream narrative, then we're banned by YouTube and Facebook and other social media outlets and we're not being heard and that's unfortunate. So to the extent that I have a national and now apparently an international audience, uh, it is my honor and privilege to be able to lend my voice that I think represents that of thousands of physicians 
around the United States and around the world. Well, and, and, and we really thank you for that. I'd be interested if people could just make a note as to where they're tuning in from. We've got people from Sheffield, from Fort Worth, from Ventura County, from Truro, which from is a little Sweden. Sweden. Uh, we have got people from Santa Monica. Um, so, you know, it's Holland. Ex- from Holland. Uh, in fact, Miss Holland is on the line. Mm. Uh, Liverpool. Liverpool, from San Diego, from Scotland. You truly are reaching an international audience. And I think, uh, and it's become very clear in the last 48 hours, the social media networks are even willing to censor the leader of the free mm. world. Mm. And I think, to be honest with you, they've crossed a line there because they just poked a lion with this latest thing with the president. And I noticed today, in fact, they have withdrawn from their position. Mm. Look, we've got people from Norway, Middle America, Sheffield, Yorkshire, uh, Taunton, Sussex. These are British counties that Germany. perhaps you'll get to know from Germany, Wales, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So this is the... Now you're making now you're making me nervous. Well, uh, you know, it wasn't exciting. Sorry. If folks around the world want to follow my message, there's a couple ways they can do that. Please, my name on Facebook, they can follow me. That's Jeffrey J E F F R E Y, last name Barky, be like boy A R K E. My daughter created a Instagram account for me, and that's Prescription for Liberty R X for F O R Liberty. And I'm on Twitter now as well, rx underscore for liberty, where interestingly, somebody just created a parody account of me. And uh, it's, qu- it's quite wild that, um, you know, one of, one of my heroes that I've followed and read about with great interest is, of course, the great Winston Churchill. And, uh, and he once said, and I love this quote, you have enemies. Good. That means you stood up for something sometime in your life. And well, so that gives me courage to continue on and uh, and to spread my voice, which I think is a voice of common sense and reason. Well, 100%. and you'll be very pleased. Now, you know, His Grace the Duke of Marlborough, who's joining us from Blenheim tonight, is the great, great nephew of Sir Winston Churchill. And of course, wow. Blenheim Palace is where Sir Winston Churchill was born. Mm-hmm. So um, and I, you have a cat called Sir Winston Churchill, who you just very kindly introduced to Caspian. So, I think if she walks by, I'll hold her up again. We've yeah, had a absolutely. cat about a year, and uh, I, I named that cat Winston Churchill, and she's a, she's a brave kitty. Well, that's, that's good. You know, and, and I think the, it, now is the time for the icons and for the symbols of icons to use their power to uh, leverage the truth, because... You know, there's a lot of factors against us. Now, there's one thing I'm going to ask. We've got a lot of people on the feed tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, if it if we overwhelm Facebook, we'll just all dial back in. But here's what we're going to do. Everybody, please press that share button and get this broadcast. Because what you're about to hear tonight, you're not going to hear anything else. This is Dr. Barquet Uncensored. Mm-hmm. This is a buyer-beware broadcast. Please create watch parties and share it, and share it into groups as well. That would be very, very helpful because we do have a message of truth to reach as many people as possible. Now, um, we've been following this. I am personally of the opinion that some sort of mass 
brainwashing operation or some mass hypnosis uh, is 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 occurring, and that this shutdown. But personally, I feel that the cure has now been far, far worse mm-hmm. than the disease. How dangerous is the disease? What do you, as, as a medical doctor, you're dealing with this disease. How dangerous is it? What it, Could you please give yeah. our people here some truth? Because we're not getting it from, from our, our doctors, doctors over here and we're not getting it from our government. Yeah, thank you for asking. And I've treated uh, a number of patients with uh, COVID-19 infections. And the reality is, is if you're in a high risk group, it's a dangerous virus. And that high risk group are older adults, uh, 70 and above, and those with significant pre-existing conditions like heart disease or pulmonary disease, COPD, emphysema, and so forth. At least in the United States, about 50% of all COVID-19 deaths has occurred in nursing homes and extended care facilities. Um, So it overwhelmingly affects older uh, folks. The younger is relatively spared. So at least here in California, we're now having political arguments about opening up our schools. And the reality is the statistics show that if you're less than 25 years old, you have a much greater risk of dying in a car crash than you do of dying from COVID-19. Overall, when you look at all the statistics, the fatality rate of this virus is somewhere in the 0.2% range. And just to put that in perspective, that's in the ballpark of what a bad influenza season would be. You know, keep in mind in, in the late 1950s, we had a horrible flu season here in the United States that killed about 116,000 Americans, and we had about half the population. Uh, But we never hoarded toilet paper. We didn't shut down our economy. We didn't quarantine the healthy. What we did is we quarantined those people that were sick, Mm -hmm. and we protected the most vulnerable, our oldest population. Um, I have a feeling that the reason why we're doing what we're doing has mostly to do with fear and the media narrative that's broadcast on the air every single night in our living rooms. And enough is enough, it's time to stop. It's time to open up our economies, open up our schools and and get back to living. I completely agree with you. So um, what are you noticing in California? I mean, um, is things opening up over there or are you still pretty locked down? Well, California is has a, a, a bunch of different areas that are governed differently. So. I live and practice in Orange County, California, which is in Southern California. And we have some brave politicians that have pushed back against our governor, Governor Newsom. And we're starting to see restaurants open Mm. and businesses open again, fortunately. That is not the case universally though, across the United States. There are still pockets where um, our elected officials are fearful to open up and, uh, and unfortunately are making bad decisions. Well, that's very good. So uh, there was one thing that has been a great debate over here because um, we keep hearing about this protocol. They call it the Zelenko protocol or the use of hydroxychloroquine with zinc. And let me tell you what I've seen. I've seen that the president recommended it. So because he recommended it, the mainstream media seem to oppose it. Hmm. 
And then the, they did some trials with it where they only used hydroxychloroquine, but they didn't use the zinc. Plus, it seems that they gave it late to people. And over here, we've had a lot of doctors and nurses that have died. I've always been of the opinion that it has some prophylactic capacity. What is your position on hydroxychloroquine and, and the use of that with zinc and azithromycin or whatever they call that, the Z-Pack? Mm. Uh, you, could you give us from your medical perspective? You know, I'm really glad you brought that up because I remember I was literally driving to work down Pacific Coast Highway. It's a beautiful drive. I know you've been to Southern California before. Okay. Yeah. I was listening to the president's press conference and I heard him mention hydroxychloroquine and I thought to myself, how long is it now going to be before my, uh, before my phone blows up with patients requesting or asking about hydroxychloroquine? It wasn't five minutes after he said that that I got my first text message asking about hydroxychloroquine that has now become a political drug. Mm. I have used the medication extensively with excellent results, especially when it's used early with mild symptoms. And when it is combined with zinc, which is a key ingredient that helps the hydroxychloroquine work, and zithromycin or ZPAC, which will fight off an underlying bacterial infection, and in and of itself has anti-inflammatory properties, I've had excellent results. As a matter of fact, before we went on air here, I had a phone call with a patient of mine. 48 hours ago, I started her on hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and a ZPAC. Uh, she had tested positive for COVID-19, high fever, chills, body aches, sore throat, the typical symptoms. Now it's 48 hours later. Her fever is gone. She's feeling well. She looks at this drug combination as almost a miracle. Now, granted, this is an anecdotal study, and you're correct. We've seen some more formal studies, but these are really of critically ill patients. They're not combined with zinc. And unfortunately, I don't really think that's the role of hydroxychloroquine to, to treat the sickest in a critical time. It's really designed, and I think it works best when you treat early with mild symptoms. I also know physicians across the country, across the world actually, that are they themselves taking hydroxychloroquine along with zinc as a preventative measure, especially those that are exposed from their work on a daily basis in the intensive care unit treating COVID-19 patients. It seems to work really well. What we know about hydroxychloroquine is it's been around since the late 1950s. It's used extensively around the world to treat autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis, systemic lupus, and other autoimmune diseases. I've used it routinely to treat patients that are going on vacation, for example, to the African game parks where there's malaria, mm -hmm. and we use it to prevent malaria, and it's used safely and effectively. Like all other drugs, we need to make an assessment with the patient, evaluate risks, evaluate potential side effects and benefits, and then with our best judgment and knowledge and experience, we prescribe. For the first time in my career, literally, I am now challenged when I write a prescription for hydroxychloroquine. I get phone calls from the pharmacy asking me to justify why I'm using this drug. Just yesterday, a colleague friend of mine who works at Kaiser, which is a large staff model um, hospital system here in the United States, uh, Kaiser refused a prescription for hydroxychloroquine because it was their belief that it wasn't effective. It no longer now is up to the doctor and the patient 
to make a decision for what's in the patient's best interest. But now pharmacies and bureaucracies are interve intervening between the doctor and the patient. And I think that is wrong. Terrible. Is it unlawful? Uh, I don't know that it's unlawful necessarily. Um, you know, we have attorneys that are filing lawsuits against government bureaucracies here in the United States. Certainly, I believe it's un unlawful, at least based on our constitutional uh, or on constitution to force the healthy to be quarantined in their home. You know, we, we fought a war, I don't know, a couple, 300 years with some folks across the pond. And the <laughs> end result was this uh, Declaration of Independence and then ultimately our U.S. Constitution. Never in the history of the United States have we forced quarantining of the healthy. And our Constitution is designed to limit the scope and power of the federal government, not to uh, limit the, the power and the ability of individual citizens, at least here in the United States. So we're starting to see here in the states that uh, citizens are pushing back against the government. Um, they're peacefully protesting and they're sick and tired of the government overstepping their bounds and telling them what they must do. Well, this is extraordinary. And for those of you that have just joined us, I noticed the feed has just increased. Please share this with your friends, create watch parties. This is a vital message. And for those of you that have just joined us on the feed, we're joined tonight uh, by Dr. Jeff Barkate. Jeff, how long have you been practicing medicine for? I've been practicing medicine for over 30 years. I'm a board certified MD primary care uh, physician here in Southern California. And so you see, in this country, we spoke to a friend of ours who's one of the top surgeons, uh, heart surgeons, actually, in London. And he was telling us that this protocol, this hydroxychloroquine, has not been being used over here by our national health. And where they have been trying it, they've only been trying it on the very, very sick and on people who, um, frankly, are probably going to die anyway. Yeah, terminally ill. Terminally ill. So um, the key to it is, now, one of the questions that His Grace the Duke of Marlborough had two nights ago, and I'm going to ask it again to you, is at what point, if you're not using hydroxychloroquine as a prophylactic, mm -hmm. obviously understanding that each case is different, and each uh, patient and you would have to evaluate. And this is not medical advice that you're giving to anybody on here, and nor are we. But at what point should you start taking the protocol? Like you just gave us the example of the young lady who thinks it's a miracle. At what point should, a, when you get a scratchy throat, is it when you start getting the body aches? At what point does that protocol begin, ideally? That's a good that's a good question and thank you for the disclaimer of course anything we discuss is not meant to be treatment advice for any patient as an individual you should always check in with your own doctor and weigh risks and benefits of any potential treatment the way i look at hydroxychloroquine because it's relatively benign meaning it's safe it's been around since the late 1950s we used to give hydroxychloroquine to our soldiers that were going into the jungles of vietnam to prevent them from getting uh, malaria or its earlier version, chloroquine. So it's true and tested and very, very safe if used properly. So I would rather err on the side of starting somebody on hydroxychloroquine that maybe doesn't need it and then stopping later than withholding it and waiting for test results to come back. So I do that routinely. The lady I told you about, we started before we had definitive test results. And so test results, at least here in the States, 
can take 24, sometimes up to 72 hours to get results back. And so if somebody has symptoms that I believe are consistent with COVID-19, I'm going to go ahead and start them on the Zelenko protocol. Dr. Zelenko came up with this idea of putting these three products together, and that's hydroxychloroquine, zinc, mixed with a Z-Pack. And it seems to work really well when you use it early. So I err on the side of putting somebody on it before the test results come back because I don't want to miss a window of opportunity for them to benefit uh, for, from this medication and from this protocol because I think it benefits patients most when it's early in the course of the illness while the symptoms are still mild. Good. So you started as early as possible and also for the fr frontline workers, they're using it as a prophylactic to prevent catching the virus if they're exposed to COVID-19 patients. So that's the funny thing about it. We're told in the media that we're being irresponsible. I've had, I've had folks on social media that have threatened to call our local medical board to try to have my license taken away or call my local hospital to try to have me removed from medical staff. Uh, I've had uh, folks via social media call my office wishing that my entire office gets COVID-19 and that we all die so I, I stop speaking. But the reality is, um, I know many doctors that are taking this drug personally along with zinc. There's a report out recently that in France, the hydroxychloroquine prescriptions have gone up 7,000%, not seven, not 70, but 7,000%. So are you here to tell me that there are uh, that many irresponsible, unknowing doctors in France that are prescribing this? There were some excellent studies that came out of France oh, maybe three, four weeks ago that showed the benefit of hydroxychloroquine. But of course, what does the mainstream media do? They take that study, they bring an expert on TV to poke holes in it and call it irresponsible. And whenever there's a study that shows no benefit from hydroxychloroquine, their so-called ex experts come on TV and they cheer that study as evidence that President Trump was wrong. See, this medication hurts people. It doesn't help people. Mm. And doctors that prescribe it must be irresponsible. I've never seen such nonsense in the healthcare industry before. I've never seen my, my industry, the art of medicine, being such a political industry before. And there's doctors and, and patients and, uh, and, and folks around the world that are pushing back and saying, enough already, stop politicizing this disease. It's not as dangerous as the World Health Organization has led us to believe early on. Uh, this is the result, the wide infectivity across the world because the Communist Party in China lied to us and hid uh, what was going on. And uh, that's where the blame should be, should be pointed, at the Communist Chinese Party and at the, initially at the World Health Organization that parroted and, and were complicit with the propaganda that China put out that this virus could not be transmitted to person to person. That was nonsense. We should point a finger at them for giving us this disease. And we should allow doctors to practice their art and treat patients with whatever means they believe is necessary. And as studies and more data come online, we'll certainly shift and we'll change what we're doing to be in line with the scientific data. But right now we see hydroxychloroquine mixed with zinc, mixed with z especially early and mild symptoms as being most importantly a very safe treatment protocol and often very, very effective. And that anybody would point a finger at doctors and call me irresponsible or other doctors irresponsible for doing so 
is only playing politics with the lives of citizens across the world. Thank you wow. for that. Now, I've got another question for you, because in this country, we've had, I think, 35, nearly 1,000 deaths. Is that about right? 35,000 deaths. Now, let's say you were the doctor, that you were in charge of a country, and you needed to make sure that the correct protocol was made available to the patients that you needed. If you were to consider having to treat a group of people that resulted in 35,000 deaths. If you didn't have, in other words, what I'm trying to say is, is let's say the hydroxychloroquine protocol with the zinc and the ZPAC wasn't available to you. Mm-hmm. In other words, if it was available to you, what percentage of those deaths could have potentially been prevented, if you see what I'm saying? Because over here, we're looking at these vast figures. In New York, I noticed they've got vast figures, but they they weren't, to my knowledge, using that protocol as effectively as possible. Plus, I believe the president, the 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 governor of New York, was actually sending sick people into the nursing homes. So, what I'm saying is, take England, which has had thirty five thousand deaths. Would it have made a difference, in your professional opinion, for our doctors here to have had accurate information and an ac- accurate presentation of what this protocol could do. In other words, if the media had not politicized. politicized it and propagandized it to the point where our doctors here, I was even speaking to a professor mm-hmm. from a university the other day, and he said, no, 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 I don't think that works at all. And then I said, well, what if you take it with zinc? He said, oh, actually, yeah, well, maybe if you took it with zinc, yeah, it would probably that would probably do something. So... In other words, my gut feeling is we there's a possibility that we could have had way, way fewer deaths in the UK if it were not for the media's Trump derangement syndrome. And I think that's a crime against humanity. I agree with you 100%. Had this drug not been politicized, had physicians be were allowed like they normally do, to use medications off-label and use their judgment in treating patients, um, there's no question in my mind that uh, less people would have died as a result because I know personally I have seen COVID-19 positive patients uh, get better almost universally when they're treated early on with hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and, and Zithromax. And of all the patients that I've seen and that I know my colleagues have treated, and there's an infectious disease doctor locally in uh, in Southern California that I know well, and he has treated a lot more patients than I have, literally thousands of patients. He has not seen one incident of any serious side effect or reaction from the hydroxychloroquine, like we're made to believe by the mainstream narrative. Mm. So it's very unfortunate. And we're losing lives as a result, not only with our inability to use our tools to treat the disease, but the cure that we've imposed upon society around the world is going to be far worse than the disease itself. I've read reports from the United Nations that up to 200,000 children are going to die from starvation because of the poverty-induced situation that we have voluntarily created. UNICEF has reported that they expect over a million deaths due to starvation because of the self-inflicted poverty by shutting down the world's economy. And we're just seeing now the results of 
the shutdown of the healthcare system. There's a group of doctors, uh, Simone Gold, who's a dear friend of mine, who's also a, who's a physician and a Stanford educated lawyer, uh, put a letter together that I helped her with to President Trump to make him aware of the consequences of the shutdown of the healthcare system. We created a website called adoctoraday.com, like on the old an apple a day. Mm. This is adoctoraday.com where physicians are providing their testimonial about what they've seen in their own practice as a result of patients being fearful to come into the doctor's office. So I'll just give you a couple quick examples that will illustrate. We spoke to a psychiatrist, and this is representative of psychiatrists all over our country and probably the world. Um, this psychiatrist had an 80% decline in the number of patients that are coming in. And this is a person who treats some of the sickest patients that they need their appointments regularly to maintain a level of sanity, to be able to have them be able to function in society, to have their medications adjusted. He also reported that this is the first time in his history that he has had to prescribe at highest levels benzodiazepines, and that's Valium and Xanax and Ativan, because he has no choice but to do that to help with some of his patients' anxiety and panic. Uh, gynecologists that are no longer doing annual cancer screening, pap smears, or mammograms to detect cancer. So you can only imagine the number of serious conditions that we're missing as a result of our healthcare system being shut down. There's a report out of um, Ontario, Canada, where there were 30 deaths in cardiac patients awaiting procedures because their procedures were deemed non-essential and they died because they needed surgery and they weren't able to get it. And these are just snapshots of, of individual doctors and situations and you can multiply that by the thousands. There is absolutely no question in my mind when history of books are written a year or 20 years from now, we're gonna look back and realize this was the greatest mistake in human history that we have ever made. And I get the mistake being made early on because we were fearful that our healthcare systems would be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And for a time in New York and New Jersey, even in Seattle, I get it that we made the right decision at the time to quiet things down so we didn't over overwhelm the system. But now it's no longer a mistake. There's malice involved in the continued lockdown of our healthcare and our economy. The, it, we are hurting more people that we are helping. There are more deaths now on a daily basis from our reaction than from the virus itself. And, uh, and, and enough is enough. Uh, your, your famous Winston Churchill once said, fear is a reaction and courage is a decision. And too many people now are reacting with fear. And uh, rather than turning off their TV and pushing back against government tyranny, it's time to be bold and it's time to say, no, no, thank you. I'm gonna open up my business. I'm going back to my doctors. I'm sending my children back to school. Enough, enough is enough already of, of what we've seen going on. Absolutely. Well, I, 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 can't, I, I can't agree with you more. And we had a gentleman on here who said, you know, normally the, the waiting list for uh, operations in the UK is about 2 million people usually. He said we're now up to 8 million on the waiting list. Now, of course, in, in America, you have a different model because you don't have a national health service. But somebody's got to pay for this stuff anyway. And I've heard in America that some hospitals are virtually empty. And, you know, uh, there are a number of hospitals that, uh, and I don't know if this is true, but that are actually possibly facing bankruptcy 
because, of course, their cash flow has been interrupted and they do have a financial model. And, you know, you can't just restart up hospitals on a sort of click of the fingers. Mm. Have, so, you're in the middle. What, what do you see? And in, in the United States, you know, we, we're reaching close to we're, we're told that we're reaching close to 100,000 deaths. And I've seen reports over and over and over again that are questioning those reports. Are they actual deaths because of COVID-19 or are they people that otherwise died that had COVID-19? We're also seeing some perverse incentives going on. That is the federal government and other government agencies are, uh, are supporting hospital systems that have been treating COVID-19. But the only way that they can document uh, the COVID-19 cases is to properly code for these COVID-19 patients. So we're seeing COVID-19 patient deaths uh, being attributed to patients that have no laboratory diagnosis of COVID-19 and may have died of something completely independent of this virus, uh, but they're being coded as such because they want the reimbursement. Here in Orange County, it has been a ghost town at most of our healthcare facilities. There are physicians and nurses that are being furloughed because there's not enough business. And this is going on throughout the country. And so you're right, if there aren't patients to bill, then there isn't cash flow. So they're laying off nurses and doctors. And it's, it's been a travesty. And it's not just a matter of flipping a, a light switch and things coming back online. Here in America, we have over 30 million Americans that are now unemployed. That's depression era unemployment. And I saw an, an estimate recently where it's expected that about 40% of that over 30 million people will not have jobs to go back to because those jobs have now gone bankrupt and have shuttered their doors. So this is gonna take a long time to recover from. And I hope we learn our lesson uh, from what we did in, in harming our economy, harming our patients and, and harming not only the American people, but the people around the world. And do you have any statistics on suicide rates recently from while this has been going on? So we know there's a direct correlation between suicide and poverty. In the United States, some of the highest suicide rates we've ever seen were during the Great, Great uh, Depression. And we're seeing very similar rates now. And it's not just suicide. We're seeing all kinds of mental health problems. That psychiatrist I mentioned before also shared, and I hadn't even thought about that. At least across America, we have an organization called Alcoholics Anonymous, that people that are sober or trying to get sober, they go to these meetings and get camaraderie and support. We have, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So those meetings have been shut down. And uh, although our Skype connection seems to work well and lots of people are getting becoming experts at Zoom, it's not the same thing. So we're seeing alcoholism skyrocket. We're seeing domestic violence increase. There's a local sheriff here in Orange County that reported our 9-11 emergency system is being overwhelmed by domestic violence calls, child abuse, et cetera. And it goes on and on and on. You only need to use your imagination for all the bad things that are normally happening in society. And it's being magnified on a level that we haven't seen since the Great Depression. Here in America, and in, and in particular, under our uh, tyrannical governor in California, he had a brilliant idea that he was going to close the churches, but allow our marijuana dispensaries. Yes, marijuana in California is now legal, uh, if you can believe that. So we're going to close the churches, allow our marijuana dispensaries and our abortion clinics to remain open, but not allow uh, God-fearing people to go to church or mosque or synagogue. 
And, uh, and then we're told as well that it's okay to line up at Costco or Walmart to get our food or a local liquor store that remains open, but it's dangerous for us in America now to line up when we go to the polls in November to vote. Um, so the left is taking over this fear narrative. Uh, I think they're hoping that if they can remain in a state of fear and keep our economy underground, uh, that, uh, that they're hoping that President Trump will not be reelected come November. I don't want to believe that there's a political motive to this, but when you see some of the arbitrary and capricious decisions being made by some of our leaders, it's, it's hard not to believe that there's some political undertones to the decisions that they're making. But also what's interesting uh, is the statistic of COVID deaths between the Republican and Democrat states. I think it's, what, nine times higher or, or eight and a half times higher in Democrat states compared to the Republicans? That's true. So we call our Republican governor states red states and our Democrat states blue states. Mm -hmm. And there's far higher death toll in our blue states than our red states. Now, part of that is, is some of our biggest population centers are in blue states like New York uh, that, that has been devastating, devastated for a lot of reasons. Their public transportation system was not shut down. And so you had people crowding together, uh, going to work in the morning, and that caused part of the problem. Um, and, uh, and California is also run by a blue uh, Democrat governor. And so those are two large population centers that make up for a, a large number of the deaths as related to COVID-19. In the United States, of course, we have 50 states, nine of which refuse to shut down the economy and force people to be quarantined, healthy people to be quarantined, and those states are doing just fine. So there's, a, there's not a, um, a one-size-fits-all approach here in the states, uh, but unfortunately, we have gone overboard in taking away the American citizens' liberty uh, and quarantine, quarantining the healthy and shutting down our economy, which was a big mistake. It's an extraordinary state of affairs. How do you see this impacting uh, schools? You know, what is your, you know, obviously there has been an impact on schools. What is your view as to how schools are being dealt with? So I'm a parent. I have two kids. They're older now and out of the schooling system. But I remember what it was like when they were in elementary and, and high school and so forth. I think one of the biggest mistakes we made was shutting down the schools. And the reason why is our kids have some of the healthiest, strongest immune systems. And we've learned from the statistics that less than 25 years old, you have a greater chance of dying in an automobile accident than you do of dying from COVID-19. And I believe the path forward is we need to achieve some level of herd immunity. That means the young and the healthy on a large scale needs to be exposed and develop memory and protective antibodies. And the group of citizens, at least here in the United States, that are best suited to do that are our children and our young Americans. Yet we've done just the opposite. We've taken our kids and our healthiest and we've quarantined them in the house. Interestingly, there's been some studies out of New York and India and even China that shows most of the infections that occur are not in the public sphere, but they're actually indoors in people's homes and, uh, and inside. So this notion that we should keep people inside just makes no sense at all. Locally, we have beautiful beaches in Orange County. And for up until very recently, our governor decided that it was a good idea to close all our recreation sites like our beaches. And in fact, being in the outdoors, being in the sunshine um, is, is, I think, a good way to overcome this virus. Getting exposed to vitamin D from sunshine 
and getting out of the house where we know a lot of infections occur indoors, not outdoors, uh, I think we've made a big mistake. Mm -hmm. So I'm advocating for opening up the schools immediately with no restrictions, with no social distancing, and with no masks. The CDC um, Centers for D Disease Control here in America came out recently with a recommendation. In Sacramento, which is the capital of California, there's a publication called the Babylon Bee, and it's a parody publication. And when the CDC came out with the report that they recommended elementary school kids to wear masks, I literally thought it was coming from the Babylon Bee. Um, I, saw your, I saw your child on screen a little while ago. Can you imagine trying to put a mask on a kindergartner or fourth grader? That thing will turn into a slingshot before we know it. The kids will be scratching at their face. It's uncomfortable, rubbing their nose, just the opposite of what we want them to do. So this idea that we should have elementary school kids wear masks or socially distance makes no sense at all. So we need to push back against that notion, get the truth and common sense solutions out there. Well, you are so, so true. Now, we do hear a lot about these um, Americans, uh, Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates. Obviously, you're a doctor and you're not necessarily involved with the political side of these things. But do you have a view on mandatory vaccination? Do you feel that what we're witnessing is really an attempt to put in some sort of mass control program? Or, I mean, could you, could you, what, what, what do you make of what is coming out of um, these two people's view of the world? I have very strong feelings about that. And you shared with me, you think some folks that are close to the Trump administration might actually watch your broadcast. So I keep looking at my phone, waiting for President Trump or Vice President Pence to call me. The call hasn't come in yet, but you never know. Well, at, um, at the end of this broadcast, I'm actually going to ask you to deliver a three minute communication to the president, because I do think that your message is very important. Um, but just before we get to that, um, could you could you tell me what you make of Dr. Fauci and, and Bill Gates and what they're up to? So I think Dr. Fauci is a very bright epidemiologist and virologist, along with Deborah uh, Bricks. I think they're good people. But unfortunately, we're we're allowing the the dog to wag the tail, so to speak. So decisions should be made by our statesmen, policymakers, not led by the experts. You know, Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, who happens to be one of the leading Churchill scholars in the world. He, uh, he worked with uh, uh, Winston Churchill's personal biographer in creating one of the largest collections of original Churchill documents here in America, in Michigan, at Churchill, at, uh, at uh, Hillsdale College. He describes what's going on, not unlike building a big, beautiful church, which they did recently on the campus of Hillsdale College, meaning you have specialists. You have, for example, a bricklayer. You have the marble guy. You've got the drywall person. You've got the person who's in charge of the beautiful organ and the chandelier and so forth. And those are really important people. But you also have an architect and a general contractor that are making decisions about the entire cathedral that's being built. So you would never ask the bricklayer to make those decisions. You would take these specialist input and then you would allow the architect, in this case, the statesman politician to ultimately make those decisions. But we're not doing that. We're allowing the specialists to make those decisions. And I think that's wrong and that's not appropriate. We need to have 
those at the leadership top, Vice President Pence, Dr. Ben Carson too, I think he's another prominent, bright thought leader. Those are the folks that should be making the decisions along with the president with input from the specialists, not the other way around. And I think that's why we got into trouble. On vaccinations real quick, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but what I am is I'm, I'm an anti-government mandate for any healthcare procedure, including vaccinations. If vaccinations are good, and many of them are, we should educate the public why they're good and encourage them to get the vaccination, not mandate a vaccination. So just like you, I hear that we might have a COVID-19 vaccination. Who knows by the end of the year? I'm dubious about that. I think more likely it'll be about this time next year. And the idea that the government is now going to mandate a vaccination that has been out only a short period of time that doesn't have extensive testing, I don't think that's going to be well received with the population here in the United States um, or around the world. So I'm not a fan of government mandates for vaccinations, and I think it's a mistake to try to impose that upon the citizens of this country. Well, that's very kind. Now, I know that you've got another meeting to get to, and uh, I do just have, I just would just ask you, if you were able to sit down as a, as a doctor with the President of the United States, what would your three or four minute communication to him be? I would say, Mr. President, Mr. Vice President, it's time to change the course of how we've operated in this pandemic. You need to start listening to some common sense voices in the medical community, in the economic community, in the epidemiology community. I believe you've heard a narrow perspective. While well-meaning, they've led us in a direction where we're going to look back and realize that the cure has been worse than the disease. I would encourage you to change course, allow this economy to open up, allow our children to go back to school and allow a common sense, non-political narrative to take root and to lead the day rather than a politically charged narrative that's occurring right now. I would encourage you, Mr. President and Mr. Vice President, to reach out to colleagues around the country, uh, to your governors, to your leaders, and take that input and make decisions as to what's best for the entire country as a whole, not best for the mainstream media narrative that want nothing more than to see you fail and to see you unelected in the fall. I think we can turn this around. We can have our economy rebound. We can share this narrative with the American people and the people around the world that although this virus was scary initially, that the World Health Organization, the Communist Chinese Party, led us down a path that was unhealthy, unnecessary, and deceitful, and that we can now change the course of history by returning to our God-given rights of liberty and the Constitution, and we can make America get great and back on the track that you had us on originally and spread liberty throughout the world. So I would encourage you to listen to folks like me and others that share this common sense perspective. Uh, so. If this voice and this message gets to you, uh, my cell phone awaits and I'd be more than happy and I'd be honored to lend my voice and to lend my level of common sense uh, to, to help you in any way that I can. 
Well, we will do our best, and I know that there are a number of people watching here from Washington, D.C., and I think that uh, certainly your intellect and your courage, uh, which is not plottable by any known algorithm to my knowledge, you see, courage, the courage of the American people and the courage of patriots like yourself is the bolt from the blue that will make the difference uh, on the playing field. And I just want to really, really acknowledge it's not easy to put your head above the parapet. I know the shellacking that you've taken. Mm. And God bless you. And thank you so much for coming on Camelot Castle TV Network. And we do hope that you will join us here in person at the round table because you truly are uh, a knight of the realms. And, mm. uh, you know, you're needed in America and you're doing a fantastic job there. And may God bless you and may you continue to communicate. And um, I'm sure you will be fully recognized for what you have done. I think this is fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I am, am honored by the opportunity to come on to your show. And I look forward one day to sitting in Camelot's castle and uh, perhaps sipping a little scotch and and smoking a Churchill-sized cigar with you. Well, absolutely. We'll, well, that we can definitely do. <laughs> thank you so much. What thank a wonderful you. All right. Okay, thank you so much. You take care. Godspeed. God Godspeed. Bless. Thank, thank you. you. Well, what a lovely, lovely man he is. And we will, we will make a, a, a clip of that message for the president. And we would ask each of you on here tonight to A, share this feed mm -hmm. and create a watch party uh, from this. Um, but also, I just wanted to thank all of you for that. And uh, tomorrow night... It is Caspian's birthday tomorrow, mm. and so we will not be having a broadcast. We will be doing a birthday party for our dear son, Caspian Arcadian mm. Alexander Mappin. Mm. And uh, that's what we will be doing. So um, thank you so much for all of your support. We've had a very exciting week. Things are changing. Mm -hmm. Things are changing, and uh, things are moving forward. Uh, all of you are doing a marvelous job. If I could ask each of you to uh, sign up to follow us on Twitter, that's John Mappin and Arena Mappin. Uh, throughout the day, we put out various different things. And remember, we're getting data in from all over the world. We're seeing data. We're analyzing it with the superpower algorithms. And remember this, at the end of all of this, at the end of all of this game, mm. it is not the voices of our enemies that we will remember. It will be the silence of our friends. So now is not the time to be silent. Now is the time to communicate. And we'll leave you with that thought to consider. And of course, the uh, closing sequence and the words have never been truer. Thank you and good night. Good night.